you know, some of these young boys aren't going to get to any age of any uh, <laughs> length where they talk. I appreciate that good advertisement for the Baptist bread, <laughs> daily devotional. Uh, back there, I appreciate it very much. Um, it's a blessing to be here, and I thank God for the opportunity. Uh, I, I, I don't think Brother Barnes that preached yesterday knows the difference between a morning sermon and an evening sermon. Because <laughs> that was a good sermon. That was a night sermon to me. But I'm just going to give you a, a morning thought, and uh, it won't be, I don't think it'll be real preaching. I want you to look in your book, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 20. This message, and I will not go into any detail, was born out of two of the most cataclysmic experiences of my ministry. Not my family, necessarily, but out of ministry. And I hope it will be a help to you brethren that are here this morning. And like the precious ladies just got done singing about old time religion, you know in the olden days you could, uh, you could get through to men's hearts. But now it's almost impossible to get folks' attention. There's so much distraction and people, there's people in this room right now with a phone in your hand and you're looking at the news or something else right now. It's just the way it goes. And I appreciate, you know, he's talking about being here. I'm going to go home this afternoon and take a nap. I'm not staying for the afternoon. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you can't get too much church, too much Bible. It's not going to happen. Too much good singing, they're not, that's not going to happen. Right. You know, our forefathers, they spent more time getting to church yes, sir. than we're willing to stay in church. Ride a horse and buggy or walk miles to the house of God. First Samuel chapter 20, we'll begin our reading in verse number 18. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon. And thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty. And when thou hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself when the business was in hand, and shalt remain by the stone Ezel. And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a lad, saying, Go find out the arrows. If I expressly say unto the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them, then come thou. For there is peace to thee, and no hurt, as the Lord liveth. But if I say thus unto the young man, Behold, the arrows are beyond thee, go thy way, for the Lord hath sent thee away. Then I want you to look down to verse 30 just to conserve a little bit of time. Saul, he confronts Jonathan about where David was and uh, he's upset and he talks bad even about Jonathan's mother. And uh, get down to verse 35. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him. 
And he said unto his lad, Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow behind him, beyond him. And when the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond thee? Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, hey, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the lad knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto his lad and said unto him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept with another until David exceeded. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed. And Jonathan went into the city. I want to talk to you on this topic for just a moment. When the arrow lands beyond thee. When the arrow lands beyond thee. You know, there's an indictment in the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew, verses 16, excuse me, 6 and 7, about offenses. The Bible says offenses will come. They are part and parcel of our lives. But it also says that we ought not to be the perpetrator of the offense. We ought not to be the one that causes the problem. I want to give you seven just quick thoughts and not really go into any detail. But this was born, my wife and I and our three sons, we moved to where we've lived now for over 30 years. I had been preaching in that church, uh, holding revivals there, preaching in meetings. The church ran close to a thousand people. I... uh, I'd been with my dad all my early ministry. I worked for him for a while and then was in evangelism out of the church and was called the staff evangelist, which doesn't mean anything at all. Um, and I, I, I wanted, to, you know, I was a 37, 38-year-old kid and I wanted to get out on my own. There, there is some advantage to your father being rather well-known, there's some disadvantage to your father being rather rather well-known, famous or infamous, depending on who you talk to. And I got to the place in my young mind that I thought I would just as soon uh, fall flat on my face in failure as be perceived as somebody holding on to the coattails of another individual uh, trying to become successful. And so we moved, and we were there three months, and I recognized I'd missed the will of God completely. I was completely, I'd made a fool move. But I was young, 
And I had made the move and I had put my kids in the Christian school and I had uh, tied myself and uh, I bought a home and I didn't want to admit that I was a fool. I didn't want to admit that I'd made a mistake. I didn't want to admit that I had missed the will of God in my life. So just bulldozed through it for a while. Things quickly began to unravel even worse than they were. And finally we had to leave that church. You know, when the pastor stands up and and I was there, this is not hearsay, and says you women can dress any way you want to, it doesn't matter anymore, I'm not going to that church. And I walked out and I was gone. And they tried to get me back. The pastor even tried to get my wife to come back and not me. Which I thought was a rather unethical move on his part. Can you imagine a man saying, now, you know, Mrs. Green, you can come back. Tim's not, but we want you. Exactly right, whoever said that. I'm going to put that in my notes. Wicked. Number one, number one, when the arrow lands beyond thee, make sure that you have gone through the assigned process. There is a plan when dealing with these kind of things. It's very plain in the Bible, Matthew chapter 18. You initially go to the individual privately and try to work it out. You try to make it right. You try to... To make reparations if you can. Now, you're not going to believe this. I've been preaching now. It'll be 49 years this October. Started as a 21-year-old boy. I have had in these 49 years of preaching quite easily a hundred confrontations, misunderstandings, serious problems with the brethren. I've got a guy right now, this lady talked about the Baptist bread. She loved it. It helped her. I got a guy right now, he has been ripping me up one side and down the other for something I put in the Baptist bread. I've had more people write about that particular article that they enjoyed it, but this guy thinks I'm a heretic out of the pits of hell. I don't waste any, I don't waste any time anymore with critics. I, never, I don't respond to them. I went to college, Dr. Malone's school, Dr. Malone. He would talk about. He said, "Now Paul knew how to be how to be abased, and Paul knew how to abound." And he said, "I'll tell you what that means. That means you can go out to the cemetery, and you look at the gravestone of a man, and you can tell him how wonderful he is, the greatest guy in the world, or you can criticize him, say all kinds of bad things about him. He won't respond." He said, "That's how Paul learned how to abound and how to be abased. He was dead." God, help us to be dead to our critics. You can't please everybody and you can hardly please anybody anymore. But out of a, out of a hundred preachers that I've had difficulties with and went to them like you're supposed to go to them, I have had one out of 100 plus 
that responded appropriately and took the rebuke. And we are good friends today. Matter of fact, he writes in every single issue of My Baptist Bread. Now, some people call it the daily bread. It is not the daily bread. The difference between the daily bread and the Baptist bread is the Baptist bread has peanut butter and jelly on it. And we believe the King James Bible is the word of God. One out of a hundred plus that I had to confront because of something stupid he did. I don't do this as much anymore as I used to because I'm old, but we're to go privately. Then in a church situation, you go plurally. One or two, you take somebody with you to try to get it worked out. And then you may have to go publicly sometime. But make sure in dealing with situations when the arrow is shot way beyond you and the relationship seems to be not able to be mended at all, make sure you go through the process. Number two, review the good. Review the good that was in the relationship that is no more. Try to dwell on that exclusively. Try to remember, David, remember Goliath. David, David, remember the friendship that you and I had and the love that exceeded the love of women, these two men, these two great men. Be careful you don't quit having friends. Don't put yourself on an island of isolation. There's an old poem written by the most famous poet, I suppose, most prolific poet, I would suppose, in all the world, a guy named Anonymous. I'll just give you one stanza. I trusted many a friend that failed and left me to weep alone. But I found enough of my friend's true blue that I'm just going to keep trusting on. I'm not going to stop having friends because of other friends that were less than friends. (coughs) Excuse me. I think this third thought is so vital Look at verse 39. But the lad knew not anything. Try to keep innocent parties out of it. If I have an offense with this brother and this brother doesn't know anything about it, I have no business going to him and saying, I don't like this guy. He's really a bad guy. You're thunder, you're great. You ought to get rid of, don't have him for your friend. I call that being a sandbox saint. We got preachers today that act like teenage girls. They act like junior high school girls. If you like him, I don't like you. If you preach for him, you can't preach for me. God, help us. I know when you're hurting and this guy has hurt you. It's hard because you are looking for help because of the hurt. 
See, David never made Jonathan choose between him and Saul. He let that relationship continue. God help us. Number four. This point presupposes that there, it's a ministerial thing. It's a preacher involved. Remember the anointing. Remember the anointing. David and a couple of his men were in, the, in a cave. And Saul came in and went to sleep. And one of the guys said, hey, man, we got him now. We got him now. David even, you know, you know, it was when he went and cut Saul's skirt off. I don't know what in the world Saul was wearing a skirt for in the first place, but that may have been his problem right there. He was one of the original transgenders. Wish I hadn't have said that, frankly. (laughs) Chapter 26 is another story. You know, uh, Saul, really the entire camp of the Israelites, they uh, were in a deep sleep. Seems like God got involved and uh, gave them, you know, instead of, you know, one cap full of NyQuil, they drank the whole bottle. (laughs) That'll put you to sleep. They were in a deep sleep. And Abishai, he said, in this case, he said, we got him now. But he went down, you know, and they got the cruise, and they got the spear and came back. And then, then David hollered out and awakened him. And that's, I think, in chapter 26 and verse 21, when Saul realized that David was more charactered than he was. You know, it's a staggering thing when you realize that your enemy has more nobility than you have. When you, the guy that you can't get along with, he is more right with God than you are. It'll help us. You remember the anointing. That was the whole thing with David. See, now David, he got anointed three times. Saul was anointed, but he, that anointing of God on a man of God is something that we need to keep our hands off of. And our mouths off of. And our poison pens off of. You know, David carried this thing so far, this anointing thing. When Saul and his three sons were killed and the messenger came back, you know, with the crown and the bracelets. Saul wore bracelets too. He had a bigger problem. Than God help us. And that Amalekite came back there in 2 Samuel chapter 1. He was pretty proud. He thought he was going to get rewarded. He was killed. David said, do you mean to tell me that you had the audacity to do that to God's anointing? 
I would hate to be a church member and put my mouth on the man of God. Cause problems for the preacher. Be careful who you take counsel from, number five. Be careful who you take. See, you know the guys that know how to wield the swords. You know the guys with the mean mouths. You know the guy that you can go to and he will help you destroy your perceived enemy. You know who he is. I know who he is. You know the killers. You've heard them preach. You know what they say in the pulpit. So that's the, yeah, I, my brother so-and-so, he'd give me some problems. So you go to this mean-spirited fella to help you get your job done. Not far from where I live in southern Ohio, there have been two churches in the last decade or more that have gone through serious upheaval. One of them was a dear friend of mine. It was a, at, at one time, it was one of the largest churches in all of Ohio, probably ran 1,500 to 2,000. And uh, by the time my friend became uh, interim pastor, for lack of a better term, he had been the principal of the Christian school. The church, through all the upheavals, was down to less than 200. He wanted the church so bad. And so they voted, and in the vote, you had to get 75%, and he only got 62%. So he just kept fighting for it. He wanted to change the Constitution. Got down way below 200. They had a Christian school with 165 kids in it. Only nine of them were church kids, members of the church, just kids. Church had gotten old. Old people don't have kids. They can't even hardly stand kids. <laughs> Unless it's their own grandkids. And, you know, it's bad to take bad counsel. Bad counsel. We had another church in our area. They had a big upheaval, and, and I preached there, and they were friends of mine, and they had a big vote, and you had to get 75%. And there was only there was 60 people that voted in that particular church. And uh, they got 43 was for and 17 was against. So what's that? That's 60, isn't it? 43 and 17, is that 60? Still 60? Good. It's always been 60? Okay. But 43, 4 and 17 against, that's not 75%. You'd had to have gotten 45, 4 and 15 against to be 75%. So they didn't even, they said, well, he, he got it. He got 75%. Somebody raised their hand and said, well, what was the actual count? Well, 43 to 17. Well, that's, yeah, that's close enough. So they said, we'll have another vote. But what we're going to vote on now, we are voting you 17 out. So they voted those 17 people out. The guy got unanimous the next time. Today, 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 the church does not exist at all. It's gone. Families tore up. Ministries gone. 
bad counsel. You know, in chapter 27, David seems to take some of his own private counsel. You know, you could be your own worst counselor if you listen to your own musings. David's thinking kind of becomes suicidal. You say, what do you mean? I think I'll go live with the Philistines. What a dumb thing to do. He said, if I perish by the hand of Saul, I might as well go get killed by the Philistines. Be careful who you take counsel from. Number six, don't put greater value on the relationship than is necessary. Sometimes we overemphasize its value when God is de-emphasizing the relationship to your benefit. To your benefit. I would never call this man's name. There's not five people in America know who this is. I've told a few of my intimate friends over the years I wish I hadn't. I had a man call me, a very famous minister. If I called his name, everybody in this building would know who I'm. You would know him, and most of you have probably heard him preach. He called me one day, and I had been preaching in a particular state out west a lot. And uh, he was going there on vacation. And he called me on the phone. He said, Tim, you've been in such and such. I won't even call the city. And I said, yeah. He said, uh, you preach for, I said, yeah, I preach for three different churches out there. He said, I'm going there on vacation. You think you could find me someplace where I could preach on Sunday? I said, yeah, I could. But I tell you, you, brother, I'm in a real tight. I said, now my brother John's here, and he knows how much this means to me. It was like November 13th. Deer season in Michigan opens the 15th. I said, brother, I'm leaving today to go deer hunting in Michigan. And I, I said, I'll make a couple calls. You can call me. I'll get the information where you can go speak. I'll leave it with my wife. You can call Sandy. This was way back before cell phones or anything. And so I I said, you can talk to her. I got him a couple of places. I took off. We didn't have cell phone. We didn't have phone where we stayed. You had to go to 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 the, some of you young people, son, you probably don't even know what this is. They'll have them in the Smithsonian Institute someday. (laughs) They, they had a, a phone booth. A booth. And you would go in there and you put money up there and you make a call. You, you, you've never seen one, but go to the Smithsonian. I guarantee you'll have one. We, went, we deer hunted on the 15th all day. I don't think we got a deer that year or that day. I don't, I don't think I did. I don't remember. But I call my wife every day. I call my wife three times a day now with cell phone caller. Every, I call her three times a day. Dr. Lakin, always, Dr. B.R. Lakin, he said, he said, making those phone calls a lot cheaper than alimony, and that's true. <laughs> so he said that 40 years ago. So, so I called her. And uh, I could tell something in her voice. I said, what's the matter, girl? She called the man's name, the preacher, the famous preacher. Said, he called today. Oh, good. I said, did you give him the numbers? Yes. She said, but he said some things to me, Tim. 
I said, what do you mean? He told me how beautiful I was. He told me something very inappropriate over the telephone. She said, at first I thought he was kidding. But then I realized he was making a pass at me. He was inviting me with what he'd imagined. What do you do? We finally communicated. We were good friends. We preached in big meetings. I mean, big meetings all over this country for probably 15, 20 years. And now he's making a pass at my wife. See, God sometimes de-emphasizes that relationship to your benefit. Because he's gone another way. He's gone down a lot different path. He's not interested in old-time religion anymore. We overestimate the importance of the friendship. Sometimes it's because we want to climb the ladder of success. You can climb the ladder of success and find out that 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 ladder is leaning on the wrong building and you're going the wrong way. A lot of times... When you pull back that curtain and there is that wizard of Oz that you thought was so wonderful, he's just a tiny little man with bad motives. God, help us. Deliver me from my enemies and from workers of iniquity. Last thought. Don't lose control over the part that you have control over. There comes a time in life when the arrow is shot beyond you in some relationships. It's okay. Nothing you can do about it. I'm a big Oswald Chambers fan. Read everything he wrote more than once. (laughs) He said when... God does this rearranging of relationships and fellowships and friendships. He's doing it for your benefit. He didn't say it doesn't hurt. But I would say to you this morning, don't lose control over the part where you can keep doing right. And don't throw javelins back. I think... Saul threw javelins twice at David that I can remember and once at Jonathan, his own boy. He missed all three times. I would guarantee you if David would have dodged that javelin, reached around and grabbed it out of the wall and fired that at Saul, he'd have put it right there and killed him. But he never responded that way. That's a vital part of it. Don't become what they are. Don't become a King Saul. Stay a David. Get what you get fairly and from God's hand. And it's interesting in 2 Samuel chapter 1 when David heard all about it. Boy, now there's a chance he's dead. There'll be no retribution. He never said a bad thing. 
His eulogy to King Saul was exemplary. He praised him. He praised Jonathan. How beautiful they were, how great they were, how wonderful they were. Part of our problem is we want to protect. We, th we think we're the most important. Years ago, and I'm done, there was a very famous actor in our country. Everybody would know his name. If I called it, I won't. He was going on holiday in Greece. He was Greek himself. He got on a jet in Los Angeles to fly across the country and across the ocean to Athens, Greece. He got on the plane last, as most celebrities do, and he had a seat in first class. It was a uh, 747, so you go upstairs in the 747. He was up there. There are 21 or 24 seats in first class upstairs in the 747. And he went there, and he stood in front of the 22, 23 other people there, and he said, listen, you all know who I am. I don't want to be bothered. I don't, I'm not signing any autographs. I don't want anybody to talk to me. Just leave me alone. Sat down in his seat, buckled his seatbelt. He heard behind him a seatbelt unbuckle. And a young man in his late 20s, early 30s came and stood in front of him and said, Sir, we are so delighted that you're coming to our country. Did you hear what I said, bud? I don't want to talk to anybody. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. Go find your seat. I'm done. Chagrin, the young man, went back to his seat, buckled his seatbelt. The plane took off, flew across 10, 12 hours or more, across the world, landed in Athens, Greece. The famous actor, he looked out the window, and he did. Out on the tarmac, there were 150 to 200 people. There was a red carpet. He said to himself, how in the world did they find out that I was on this plane? I'm going to run through that gamut of reporters and answer a bunch of questions. This is ridiculous. When they landed, the steward came over the PA system and says, Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very important person on the plane today. He will be deplaned before anyone else. The actor, he's getting ready. Oh, boy, how in the world? And over the PA system, the steward said, the crown prince of Greece is on the plane today and he will be deplaned before anyone else will even know. Seatbelt unbuckled behind him. 29 or 30 year old young man came. He stopped in front of the famous actor and said, we really are glad you're here. Now, two things went through my mind when I heard that illustration the first time. And the man that used it, he used it in regard to pride. But you know what else I thought about? I thought about the crown prince of glory who really wants to have the preeminence in our lives, in our relationships one with another. But we will not give him first place. We're going to do what we want to do. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. I'm going to get back at that rascal that said that about me. 
He did that. Huh? He'll now he'll pay for that. God help. 